Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. everyone. Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. This is Marnie and I am here with Dwayne and we are going to be talking today about a dynamic that we see over and over when we're working with couples recovering from betrayal trauma that causes quite, um, quite a few problems for the couple. And this comes up a lot of the times in uh, longer term relationships where they've been working on recovery for a while and the person who's done the betrayal feels really strong in their recovery. They feel really safe in their own personal recovery. They're not worried about slips. They have a good support system. They've done a lot of their trauma work and they're feeling really, really solid. And they value integrity. Like they, they legitimately like the person that they're becoming and they feel good and safe within themselves. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make that they are very congruent internally. They're feeling really good, really strong. Yet there's this continuous issue where the partner, the person who's been betrayed, still doesn't feel safe, doesn't trust their recovery. And there's a lot of conflict that can happen there. A lot of conflict. And it doesn't mean the partner doesn't see that there are changes. It doesn't mean that the partner is not aware that, you know, he's going to a men's group, he's going to therapy, they're doing couples therapy, you know, he has sponsor, a sponsor, he has sponsees. Like a partner can know cognitively that the person that's hurt her are taking steps and and even seeing changes, but that's not enough necessarily to create safety for the partner who has been betrayed and traumatized. Definitely. And this can cause a lot of frustration in the relationship because they keep bumping into this. And usually, to me, that's a sign that there's still some trauma left in the relationship itself that has to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's important for us to share because I know that you and I both have this experience where we've seen many couples recover. And they, and in order to recover, the partner does need to get to the point where she does feel safe. That's sort of how we know that a couple has moved over that huge mountain, right? And they're on the other side. Right. So we do see that happen. And, and really, it has to happen in order for the couple to thrive again, in order for the couple to repair, heal, and thrive. However, getting to the other side of the mountain, that there's no easy formula for that. And it might take a partner three years 
four years, depending on the history of their relationship, the history of recovery, whether there's been treatment-induced trauma, whether it took the addict, you know, a year or two to actually start to understand partner trauma, um, to, to start doing the work. It just depends. So it's not, it's not about the time. It's not because I think there could be a partner after six months of work, she feels safe with her husband, right? And another partner six months in is in a real state of trauma and not even close to feeling safe yet, even if her her husband is sober and he feels safe within himself. Absolutely. And it's hard to tell sometimes where that's going to fall and be. And that's why part of this process has to be kind of organic and each couple is different. I would say that when I encounter this with a couple, which I, I've seen a lot, and this usually happens in longer term recovery, and you know the addict's doing really well, and they keep bumping into this, is really working on how the person who has done the betrayal responds to those moments that the partner kind of is activated. Right. So the partner gets activated, and when that happens. And the person who's done the betrayal has the opportunity to, in my mind, heal that traumatic response. Mm-hmm. And it, and they really have to pay attention on a deep level to the partner's emotionality or the expressions of this safety or unsafety feeling that comes up. And that can really begin to help that process and heal that trauma too. Yes, because what can get in the way is the addict shame can get triggered by the partner's emotional reaction, right? Which and her, re- I need to say her re- her emotional reaction is a normal and expected reaction or response to threat or danger, and she was in danger for a long period of time, right? So um, we have to expect that there's going to still be reactions. And so if the addict responds with shame or defensiveness or anger, that is going to make things worse. And he's going to completely miss the opportunity for repair in this moment, right? So the opportunity is there if the partner does not respond in the way that he wants her to, and she responds in a way, you know, where she's saying, I I don't feel safe. I still feel unsafe. The best thing for the offending partner to do is to say, I understand why you feel that way. And I I still want you to know how confident I feel with myself and my recovery, but I get that you're not there yet and I'm going to still do everything I can every day to prove to you that you are safe. That's my goal, right? That's And that's it. That's the moment of repair. Definitely. But I think it's also important to note that some of these expressions, especially later in recovery when the crisis is settled, are much more subtle. And they're not always obvious. So it's really about paying attention to each other's micro-expressions and, and and, and your own micro-expressions, your own small, subtle ways that you may project uh, shame or guilt or whatever it is without maybe totally consciously knowing you do it. So you have to 
really take a step back and pay attention to that because some of this can be very, very subtle. And people don't realize that under the surface, under the cognitions, uh, the emotional brain is having these reactions. And so this takes a lot of work as a couple to be able to navigate that and really slow it down and see how they can help each other support each other. And this is an uh, this is where I think we as therapists can come in, because I think that part of our job is to educate the people that have have done the offending behavior, the people that have hurt their partners with betrayal, right? Betrayal behavior. They need to learn and we need to teach them that just because they feel safe and they're doing really well in their recovery, and we see that, we have to be proactive and teach them that they can't expect their partner to feel that way, right? That's part of this education that we do about partner trauma, helping the addict understand what has happened to his partner's brain, what has happened to her nervous system as a result of the betrayal trauma and the, 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 the attachment injury, the attachment trauma. And so when I think when an addict is not given that education and doesn't have any idea about what his partner's internal experience is, he expects that she's going to react a certain way because he feels a certain way and she should see that. And if, 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 if he feels safe, she should feel safe. So I, again, I think our responsibility as a therapist is to teach him that that's not the case and that he can't have that expectation and that having that expectation actually is a setup for failure. A- absolutely. And especially when that frustration is expressed, even if it's very subtle, once again, it doesn't have to be overt, but that frustration, like you still don't believe I'm safe. You still don't, you know, um, you still don't believe I'm safe. You still think I'm going to act out. I feel really confident. Why is this person still stuck here? That even if you're holding it in can be expressed and you have to be aware of that and work to approach your partner in a way that can help them settle that nervous system in that moment, their nervous system, when they're feeling that instead of going to the frustration you go into their trauma and you help regulate them by validating them by making on t- uh by making eye contact by maybe touch if you ask permission and 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 that feels okay there's a lot of ways to help bring their nervous system down and i find that when the person who's done the betrayal starts to do that the repair starts to happen faster and that safety starts to come quicker. But if you don't catch that, this is where couples get stuck and it is really, really subtle. Yeah. And this, I say this all the time. I say each interaction is an opportunity for repair or rupture. So in that, in this situation that we're talking about, when the partner has this emotional response, if he is sensitive to that, and aware of why and is able to validate her and show up in a tender, loving way and help to regulate her, that's an amazing opportunity for repair. However, if he goes into his own shame or he gets angry because everybody else sees 
you know, all the work he's doing and, and recognizes that he's safe now and she should feel safe. And why doesn't she? That's a big opportunity for a, a big old rupture. Absolutely. And then they they get stuck again. And I think sometimes, you know, cognitively we can look out and see, oh, this is working. We're doing our work. We're doing that. Nothing's happening. And we can know it on a cognitive level, but we don't know it on a body level. And really it's the body level that counts in the end. Yeah. And, you know, and let, let's look at a partner's experience. I, I really have a lot of compassion for partners who also feel they should feel safe. Like I've had partners say to me, my husband has been in recovery for a solid year. And you guys, it doesn't have to be a year. It could be nine months, six months. It could be two years. The time is less important. What's more important is the work that's being done and the healing that's taking place, right? But in this example, you know, my husband has been in recovery for a year. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. And I see so much proof every day of the fact that he has integrity and he is, um, he's not acting out and he's got a support system and he's accountable and he has humility. And I don't feel safe. And so she can often feel bad about herself. Like, what's wrong with me? And why aren't I faster in my recovery? Why aren't I farther along? And so we also have to, again, use the this education to teach a partner about what's going on for her and her nervous system. And that cognitively seeing something or cognitively understanding something does not necessarily mean that that's going to heal our trauma. Yes. And... I think that's really important to know, right? To be able to see and, and validate everybody in this experience. One of the things as you were talking, I was thinking about was mindful self-compassion and normalizing our emotional experience as it is in the moment and just being able to watch it. None of these feelings are wrong or right. They just are. So the more you can navigate these feelings together and validate these experiences, the more you can move and shift them to feelings that you guys want to create together. Absolutely. And you know, what's a little frustrating to me is that I believe that if couples came in to therapist's offices shortly after discovery, and they were taught in that, remember we were talking in our last episode about couple therapy and how there's different stages of couple therapy. And in that early stage, right after discovery, there could be that, you know, we talked about being like um, providing scaffolding and structure, right? And boundaries and education. And I feel that this is a big part of that scaffolding process, teaching, teaching them about the dynamics that we see with couples recovering from betrayal trauma. So right off the bat, when these dynamics start occurring, they're expecting it. They're not shocked by it. They're not, they're not confused by it. And they have tools and they've been taught a little bit. So I, it's frustrating for me, I, I guess, because so many clients come into my office and they've been in these betrayal trauma waters, trying to, you know, trying to stay above water, trying to survive, trying to navigate the, the currents, all of that. And they were never given this information, right? And so again, even the best intentioned therapists can miss this. And I, I just think it is so important because they don't know. You know, most the, the average person who's not really interested in psychology or doesn't work in the field doesn't really have a, a clear understanding of how the nervous system works and how trauma, how we respond to trauma. Right, yeah. 
The other thing I wanted to say, Dwayne, that I think is really important is that about this topic, and it, it, it's sort of like part B of this topic, which is it's important for the addict to know that safety isn't only determined by sobriety and right and, and, and a, an abstinence from the sexual or compulsive behavior. So it's really important to go back to talking about the integrity abuse and those those behaviors, the chronic patterns of abuse that accompany the addiction that can still be there even when the addiction is not active, when the person is sober. And so safety is going to come. I mean, the, the sobriety, we've said this before, is like a prerequisite, right? It's like that has to happen. That has to be in place for there to be any healing for the coupleship. But that's just one part of it. There has to be you know, the congruency between a person's, um, you know, beliefs and their behavior and, and their words and their behavior. And there has to be integrity and humility and no more gaslighting and no more lying and transparency. And if these things aren't there, even in the face of sobriety, a partner is not going to feel safe. In fact, sometimes she could feel um, really unsafe. Yes, I, I I totally agree with that, and I and I think that this is if you have all those things in place and you're stuck here, you you have to start to target that co-regulation piece, that where you really help settle your partner's nervous system if you're the one who's done the betrayal. and you really work hard on that and paying attention to that they will slowly over time begin to feel safer. And then what I see, once that happens, then it moves to a mutuality where they're both helping each other feel safe and they're both recognizing attachment traumas, earlier traumas. And that's really where the deep healing comes for both people. And the relationship becomes something that both people really desire and want because they're really helping each other co-regulate. But I always find that if you have this level of betrayal trauma on top of that, you you have to do that first. And once that partner feels that sense of emotional safety, the safety that comes from co-regulation, then they really blossom and the relationship really grows. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's really important for everybody who's listening to understand that this whole topic you know, of healing and repair is not about the time that you've put in you know, to recovery. Because some people listening have been on this road now for years. Some people are just getting on it, and some people maybe are halfway through. And I know when I say the time is not important, that that could be hurtful or painful to, to, to those of you listening, because there's so much loss, right? There's so much grief over how much time and money and energy you have put into this process already. So I get that. I get there's a lot of grief and it feels so unfair and that you're being robbed of you know time in your life, precious time. However, the reality is that it is less about the time the amount of time, for instance, of sobriety. And it's more about what is happening actively, what is happening in the relationship currently and consistently. That's where we're going to see, again, that movement from one side of the mountain to the other side of the mountain, 
right? So does that make sense? Does that make sense what I'm what I'm trying to say, Dwayne? Yes, absolutely makes sense. Everything really only takes place in the present moment, and that's where your focus should be. Yeah, and if and if a, if a couple have been in therapy and couple therapy dealing with betrayal for let's say four years, but a lot of these issues haven't been handled, the lack of education around partner trauma, right? Lack of education around co-regulation. People are not aware of the fact that just because they feel safe, it doesn't mean their partner's going to feel safe. You know, so four years might go by with lots of therapy and lots of work, but no real healing. And yeah, that's frustrating. And you might be sort of starting over at some point. And I get it. You're going to have to grieve all of that time. You know, I, I've seen partners so angry. I've seen addicts really angry too about that. Like, why didn't we learn this sooner? We came in, we trusted, we trusted professionals. We asked for help and we didn't learn any of this that we're hearing now. And, and I get that. I get that. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm sad for that. And I have a lot of compassion. And the key to healing now is to make these changes and listen to to what's being said and do it differently moving forward right like like what you just said the healing has to happen now in this moment it's not about what happened last week and it's not about what happened 4 years ago with that last therapist who didn't help right like again there's grief and we have to feel that but we have to be able to move forward and change now in order to see things, to see it change, in order to see things change. It all takes place in the present moment. That's really the only place we exist is in that. And we can work to change those feelings, even that grief and that loss about our history, uh, fears about the future. It's all happening now and in this moment. And this is where I really love like mindfulness practice and meditation and 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 uh, tools like that because those really can help regulate the nervous system and keep us present and focusing on the here and now, which is the most important element we have. There's a great book. Um, I think it's by Kristen Neff, um, Mindful Self-Compassion. Yes, that's a great book. Great book. And I think that this could be very helpful for people that are dealing with um, with what we're talking about. And you know, I also want to say to, to the betrayer, it is something to be proud of when you've had an addiction for a long time and you've suffered and others have suffered as a result of your addiction and you get sober and you're doing great. So I don't want to take away from the fact that you should feel proud and that it is something to hold tight to and to want to share with others. And that is one of the reasons why it's so important to have an, an outside support system, you know, to have people from a 12-step group or a men's group, and certainly to have your own therapist and people you trust that can celebrate those wins with you and can recognize how hard you're working. So just because it's not something that your partner's going to necessarily be able to see or feel or celebrate with you or, you know, yeah, if she's not able to do that, we're not saying just stuff it down and, 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 and don't think about it and don't talk about it and don't feel it. That's where it's important for you to have other people to talk about it with. You know, I run men's groups and I can say, and I've, I've run them for years. And one of the, the sweetest parts of it that I really just love is when I see the men sharing their own victories with each other 
and supporting each other and giving each other the encouragement um, and sharing the, you know, just sharing the achievements together, but also recognizing the pain that comes from not being able to really take that home and share it with their partner, but that it will come that down the road with ongoing work as healing happens, as repair happens, that changes. So if you're out there, you're struggling, um, you're struggling with any of this, or you are recovering from a trail and you don't have a men's group, I really encourage you to find one. Oh, I think that's that's very true um, for anyone that's done the portrayal is to be able to find that support that you need where you can you can share this process with somebody because sometimes the person who's been betrayed doesn't have the bandwidth to do that. They're so overwhelmed with the betrayal trauma that um, you're not going to get that in the beginning. And that's OK. You know, um, you can find that from a therapist, from a support group, any of those things. And I, I, and, and also just for clarity, when you do look for a men's group, make sure to find out what kind of a group it is, because there's so many different kinds of men's groups. There are some that are for men that are early in recovery, right. Who are just starting the process. So they'll take you through, you know, through the tasks, breaking through denial and, um, just, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so they'll take you through the tasks, but then there's other groups like the ones that we have, which is really more about, it's less about the addiction per se and the and the acting out. Um, we're really assuming that they've got that part dealt with and handled. And we're really talking to them more about how can they help repair their relationships, teaching them the skills that are necessary in order to help repair their relationships and help their partners heal. So men's groups come in all shapes and sizes. They're wonderful. They serve different needs. So. Um, you know, make sure to just ask questions and to figure out what it is that will be most helpful for you so that you can find the right place. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can go to our Facebook group and post those questions in there. Uh, we do read them and, and we try to answer them. That helps us know what topics are important to you and you need more information about. So please go do that. So you can join that at Facebook. Just type in Helping Couples Heal and click join. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you on the next episode. We'll see you then. Take good care. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Dwayne in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.